Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Hey, didn't Andrew Clark do an awesome job last week? How many of you were surprised, honestly? No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I, we had no doubt in our minds that Andrew was going to bring it. And, you know, because whenever you see the middle school guy get up, you're thinking, oh, boy, we're going to hear fart jokes. And, you know, it's going to be, you know, whatever. But he did a fantastic job. We knew it. One of the things that we love about um, our church is it's not about one person. And we are constantly developing leaders, and it's an exciting place to be. But I was just so um, happy to hear so much great feedback and um, just know that he did an awesome job with you guys. James chapter 5. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to dive right into this. James chapter 5 is towards the back of your Bible, starting with verse 8. As you're turning there, I want to put a quote up on the screen from a guy named G.K. Chesterton who said this, with every step of our lives, we enter the middle of some story which we are certain to misunderstand. Last week, I was gone. I was actually coming back from a trip to Montana. I was in Montana. And I was on a fishing trip, believe it or not, a fly fishing trip. And I'm not a fly fisherman. And you would have seen great evidence of that when I was there in Montana, but I went with something called the Wild Adventure. And you can look it up, it's TWA.us. And basically a group of about 12 guys from around the country, none of us knew each other. And we went to this ranch, this 1100 acre ranch, about an hour outside of Bozeman, Montana. And we fly fished on the Madison River. Unbelievable time. So I have a little picture of this fish that I caught, very proud of myself. What do you think, huh? Not too bad. It was catch and release, so we had to throw them back. But we had fishing guides. I actually caught 16 fish. Can you believe that? I didn't think I was going to catch one. I was happy. I thought, man, these are like the luckiest fish in the world, you know, because I'm there. But they must have really stocked the, the, the lake really well and the rivers really well. And those fish just wanted, wanted to get out of there or something because I was catching them right left on one day. It was really fun. But we had, it, was a, it was an amazing trip. And it was an opportunity to go and get away. Kind of, you know, you were fishing, but the point of the trip, it wasn't like it was that wild of an adventure from the fishing standpoint. It was fun to get away from everything. And if you've ever been to Montana and that part of the country, it wasn't too far away from Yellowstone. It was absolutely beautiful. It was really far off the beaten path. But the wild part about it, I guess, if there was anything wild, wasn't so much the, the, the fishing and all that kind of stuff. It was the fact that every day, the 12 of us would gather around a campfire and we begin to tell our stories. And they told us, they said, what we want you to do is we want you to share your life story. And these, are, these weren't pastors. These were guys from all walks of life. Uh, amazing, amazing people. One of them was a Nobel Prize winner. It's pretty cool. And guys that had, one guy had written software for the F-35 and just like some really fantastic uh, people that I got the chance to be around. But in the midst of it all, as we were going through their stories, this is when we really got to know each other. Because it wasn't just about a resume, it was like talking about your life, yet the, here's the challenge though. With each person, you get to the point where you realize, this is as far as I can go because this is where I am. And some of these guys were facing some really serious stuff. You know, one guy had lost his wife um, in just a few months back, and he was still in the middle of it. Another guy had lost a child. He was still in the middle of it. 
It was still raw. It was still real. And you, he didn't know how he was going to see the other side of this tragic thing that had happened. And it was something that brought us together. And again, they weren't, they weren't all, you know, um, it wasn't just a bunch of pastors. There was a lot of drinking and swearing and all kinds of stuff going on. But it was guys getting real. And they were getting real about their lives. And we realized that all of us kind of, kind of bonded together from, with this understanding that, yeah, we all live separate existences, but we share a common thing, and that is we're in the middle of a story, and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And my question is, is that you today? Can you relate to that at all? Do you feel like you're in the middle of something right now, and you're like, God, I don't know what you're doing with me. I don't know where this is all supposed to go. All I know is I'm in the middle, and I have no idea what to do next. And if that's you, if you're in the middle of a story that you, don't just, or you just don't understand, then this passage is going to speak to you today. So as we're reading this, look for the imperatives, look for the commands, the do's, and the do nots as we go through this. Starting with verse 8, James says, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, by the way, we were supposed to go to verse 12. We're going to skip it because there's so much in these verses that we couldn't do justice to verse 12. So we're going to have to deal with it next week. So you make sure you come back for that because that's really good too. But the question that I want to ask out of all of this today is this. What do I do when I'm in the middle of the story? What do I do when I don't know if I'm going to make it? when I'm not sure if anything I'm doing is going to be worth it. What do I do when the outcome is unclear? And so if I could boil down this entire passage to one sentence or one concept, one thought that would crystallize it all, and it maybe very well could be that the reason you're here today is to hear this exact message. You weren't even planning on coming to church today. Maybe there were thoughts in your head that said, ah, don't go, you know, watch some preseason game or whatever, you know, whatever's going on or replay something and, and binge watch something, but something brought you here today. And maybe it was to hear these exact words. So if we could boil down everything of this passage, it would be this. What James is trying to tell us and the Spirit's trying to tell you is this. Stay the course with courage and patience. Stay the course because your struggle is producing more than you can imagine right now. Keep your bearing, maintain your heading, and do so with confidence and composure because there is meaning to every single day of our lives. Every single day of your life, even in suffering, there is tremendous meaning, which is why it is more important than ever to stay the course. So when you've placed your faith in Jesus, but the winds of doubt are starting to blow and the fear is settling in and the fatigue is starting to wear you down, courageously and patiently stay the course because it's producing more than you could possibly know right now. So 
Let's define, uh, define a few terms here. First of all, starting with patience, because he says be patient. Well, that actually, that, that means to be tranquil while you're waiting. In other words, you're waiting, don't freak out. And he's going to talk in a minute about not grumbling, but don't freak out. Try to maintain tranquility. The second term is establish your hearts. And that word establish means to be inwardly firm or committed, to strengthen, like setting it in concrete so it's stable and it can withstand everything. And finally, steadfast, which means, which I love this definition. It means to maintain a belief or course of action in the face of opposition. So not just believing something when it's easy, but believing something when there's no more reason that you think you should believe it. Because everything around you is saying it's all falling apart. But nope, I'm going to stay the course in the midst of opposition. So these are the terms that he's using to help us. You know? Now, one of the clues he gives us, if we say going off, if we want to know how we, if we're going off course. Because you say, okay, I'm going to stay the course, but what does it look like if I'm going off course? One of the first clues is when he says, do not grumble against one another. Now, that's not, not that grumbling is the worst thing in the world you can do, but it's an indicator that something in your heart isn't right, that you're starting to slip. Because when you're grumbling, you're not learning anything, right? You're lashing out verbally. So this happened a few days ago. Of course, on the very day that I write my sermon, I get the opportunity to be a grumbler, and this is what happens to me, right? And God always teaches me this stuff, because I go, yeah, this is great. And then, of course, I end up like failing miserably at the very thing I'm gonna end up preaching you guys about. But um, so I'm, I'm in my car, and I'm on the phone, and I'm on hands-free, you know, so don't freak out, I wasn't like doing this. I'm hands-free on the phone, and, and I had a really good conversations, very intense conversation, and all of a sudden I hear in my car, I hear this like, whoop, like, bump, 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 right? And I go, that doesn't sound right. Um, it sounds like there's something wrong with my tire, but it was still driving fine, so I did the smart thing, and I just ignored it, right? Because <laughs> I'm in this really important conversation. So finally, like, you know, I finally pulled over once to look at my tire. There's nothing wrong with my tire or whatever. So I get back in and I'm driving and I'm getting faster and faster. And then all of a sudden I hear this thing and I, I look at my rear mirror and there's this metal spike that like flies out from the back of my car. And then my car totally starts driving differently. Like, oh man, I had a metal spike, like this big nail in my tire. And it's, I mean, it's huge. And of course it flew out and now my tire's flat. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, I got this flat tire. I'm like way out, you know, somewhere out near Westgate. And, and so I'm driving and I see, I've realized this thing. So I, so I pull over and I do the most manly thing I can possibly do when I get a flat tire. And that is, I call my wife. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I got a flat tire. I'm like, this sucks, you know? And I'm like, I don't get it. And I start, I start getting all mad, right? I'm like, you know, I don't get it. I get a flat tire. You know, I don't understand. We spend so much money on these cars, and I just feel like no matter what happens, you know, like some stupid thing happens like this. And, you know, why can't these construction guys clean up their mess? They leave nails all over the road, and it's terrible, and I'm going on and on. And can I, but I had to call her, though, because, like, I don't know what to do. Because, you know, I'm like, hey, what's the deal? Like, do we have insurance for this? I mean, I know we have car insurance, but do we have, like, roadside? I don't know any of this stuff. And she's like, hang on. I'll text you the little thing with the number. And like, can you do this for me? She's like, no, I can't do this for you. So anyway, because I'm kind of ridiculous like this. So anyway, she, she uh, t sends me the thing, but I'm getting all agitated. Like I'm, I'm grumbling. I'm like, right? And, and it gets to the point where she goes, you know, she says, I feel like with your tone, I feel like, like, you're, like you're blaming me for the fact that you have a flat tire. 
And I kind of like, in my own way, I kind of almost was, you know? Like, not that it's her fault, but it's like, you know, like, we got to figure things out better. I don't understand why this, and we just spent money on this. And like, and she's feeling grumbling, right? She's feeling lashing out after I just wrote about it like two hours ago when I was typing my sermon. Like, oh, this is a really good point, right? I should learn from this. It was kind of funny. This is just me, right? That's just what happens. So anyway, but it worked out fine. because and, and I got roadside, which I figured, hey, you know, I and don't think I couldn't change my own tire because I can change my own tire. I just didn't have six hours, right? And I figured that we already paid for the roadside assistance, so we should keep these people employed, you know? I mean, it's good. Otherwise, they would say there's not enough work and they would get fired. So, you know, I was just helping the people out, <coughs> doing my help for the community. But anyway, that's what happened to me. So you're not constructively responding when you're grumbling. So you, that's, like, that's like a lie in the dashboard. I'm like, wait a second, something's wrong because I'm grumbling, something's wrong, something's wrong. I'm reacting. I'm reacting to something. So here's the thing that I thought. How do you know when you're in the middle of it? How do you know when you're in the middle of the story? Because what happens is, is there any way to actually step outside yourself in the middle of a crisis and say, hey, I'm in the middle of a crisis right now. Pastor Tim talked about this. We just heard about this at church. How do you step outside and get a little bit of detachment, right? So that you can realize the situation you're in as opposed to merely being completely overwhelmed and overcome by it that you don't even realize the magnitude of that, the fact that it's happening. Because what happens is, otherwise, you're just going to go, oh, bad things are happening to me. Life is going crazy. I, everything's going out of control, and I don't know why. As opposed to, wait a second, wait a second. I have a feeling that I may be, even be involved in some kind of spiritual attack. I may have the feeling that there's, how I react in the next few moments is really important, because this is getting really hard. And not just about a flat tire, but other things in life, right? So I was thinking about that. How do you know? When you're in the middle of something. So you, if you know, then you have a greater chance of prevailing. So to help us understand this, I have made another drawing. Yeah. And there's murmurs among the crowd. Oh, gosh, are you serious? This guy and his drawings. Someday they will be in a museum, I think. That's my plan. Posthumously, they'll have an exhibit. Pastor Tim's drawings. See them now while they last. Um, no, that will never happen. But anyway... So here's what happens. This is where you find yourself. This is you. This is a little timeline. So here you are, and you find yourself sitting on or standing on some kind of unmet desire. Okay? There's a desire you have, but it's unmet. So you have something that you deeply want to happen, but it hasn't happened. You want to feel safe, but you don't. You want to feel loved but you don't. You want to know why, but you don't. You want to be free from pain, but you aren't. You want to finally rest, but you can't. You want to be understood, but you're not. You want there to be justice, finally justice, but there isn't and you're stuck, and you're sitting in the middle of it all. What do you do? 
In any great story, you have two choices, right? The hero, the protagonist, has several options. What are they going to do? And I turned on Siri on my iPad for some reason. How does that happen? Isn't that crazy? They gotta fix that. I said, I'm preaching and Siri comes on. We gotta fix that. So, <laughs> I can preach to Siri. She needs help, I think. <laughs> Two options await you. In every great story, we wanna know what is this person going to do? So, are they going to take are they going to stay the course or are they going to veer off course to satisfy where they are? So, you know, you're hungry. You experience the unmet need of food. I'm hungry, I want food. And it's 10.30 in the morning, which is the wasteland of the day because it's kind of too late for breakfast, but it's not quite time for lunch. And that's when it hits you. Chipotle hasn't opened yet. And you're like... What do I do? And you've been trying to eat healthy. So do you, and we're all watching, right? Do you wait until noon and then you have the salad that you brought, which is way over in the fridge over there, and then you can sit down and you can eat it? Do you wait? Do you endure the hunger? Or do you like a mindless drone drift over to the vending machine and hit the numbers and the famous Amos cookies come down? and you eat them and you feel much better. What are you going to do? Can the human spirit prevail over an hour's worth of hunger? We don't know, but we're on the edge of our seat to find out. So these are the choices that you have, right? Now that's a lame thing, but there are deeper things that we really struggle with. For example, is she gonna wait for the right man? Has she cemented her soul? Has her heart been established enough to demand the commitment of marriage? And is she gonna stay the course? Is she gonna sit in the feeling of feeling unloved and being lonely and knowing that the days are going by? Is she going to endure that gnawing sense that maybe no one is going to come for her? Can she do that? Or is she gonna settle for Hank, who has a pulse and a puppy? And he believes in God, maybe, when it's convenient, but that's about it. What is she gonna do? Is she gonna hold out for God's best? Or is she gonna veer off course and cave? We're all waiting. Is the husband going to take the leadership and say, honey, this marriage is not going well. We need to sit down and get some counseling. We need to have an honest conversation. Is he gonna do that? Or is he going to retreat more and more into himself and satiate himself with pornography or some kind of stupid internet romance? You see, these are the options that we have. So the one road is patience and steadfastness, right? And with, at, at the end of each road, there is an outcome. And that's what's so important. See, if it's just a line that goes on forever and there's no outcome, there's no purpose, then none of this matters. But the point is, they each have a separate outcome. So the one road that's the harder road is the patience and steadfast road, right? That's the one that requires more. 
Now, the other road is the one that is the easy way out with the grumbling and the shortcut. The shortcut. Now, what you also see in that first box, so there's two ways, right? I can either go, oh, I'm just angry. I'm not learning anything. I'm just going to, God is making my life miserable, so I'm just going to veer off over here and do this. And then that's what's going to satisfy my unmet desire for romance or happiness or, you know, um, respect or whatever else the, the case may be. So I'm going to go off that way. But what James is saying, no, you stay the course because there's an outcome that's very important. And if you look in that top box, there's this amazing word. Because in verse 11, he says, we know about Job, right? The steadfastness. And you've seen in Job the purpose of the Lord. Now, the word purpose is really important because purpose it's not just like, it's not a singular concept. It actually comes from this word in the original language, which is the word teleos. And teleos means not just purpose, but end and completion. So the end, it's, it's an end, right? It's an end of the story, but it's not just the chronological end, like I got to the end of the day. It is a completion, a fulfillment it is, it is the, re the revealing of the actual purpose that was there all along. And the, the, the thing that's so important about this is when you choose the road and say, listen, I'm going to sit in some of this. I'm going to learn to be patient. I'm going to reinforce my heart into concrete so it's not going to get moved. I begin to get stronger and things begin to happen in such a way that at the end of the day, I actually experience the purpose of God. And that is everything. Because if I don't, what happens is I end up with a counterfeit. I veer off course and I become less than what I could have been. It is less than what God intended. And so I'm left with like, okay, fine. I got a temporary reprieve. I took the easy way out. I settled for this person. I settled for this job. I settled for this way of life. And I didn't do the hard thing. I did the easy thing. And maybe I got what I wanted in the short run, but in my soul, I know I ended up with less than God's best, less than his intention. And I missed the teleos, the purpose. I missed it. And it's not a good story. It's not a good story. You know, it's like, have you ever seen Braveheart? And you should go see Braveheart. If you haven't seen Braveheart, you really don't belong in this church. <laughs> but you know, can you imagine if you watched Braveheart and you get to the very end and in, you know, Right when they're about, because they, they mess him up pretty bad. You know, I don't want to give the whole thing away. But you know, it's pretty gruesome, right? And at the end, he's like, freedom, right? And everyone's like, the great. What if at the very end, he's like, all right, all right, all right. That's just, <laughs> like, we can make a little compromise here. Why don't you give me a nice little place up in the hills, and I'll, I'll call this whole rebellion thing off, and we'll be fine. That'd be a terrible story. No one would go see that movie. If the, if the leader, if the revolutionary compromised at the end, it wouldn't be a good story. If he gave in at the last second, it wouldn't be a good story. You know? Rocky Balboa, when the guys count him down, oh, I got this far. I might as well just fall back down. He always gets up. It always seems like they take forever to get to 10, too. It's like in the real world, it's like he'd be done. But, you know, they, they do the camera stuff and slow motion, and he's getting up, and he finally, and that's what makes it. He got back up. He stayed the course. And what happened? The completion happened. 
And that's everything to James, and that is everything when it comes to understanding that you, your life, you were created in the image of God, and you were placed here at this time in this environment, not so that you could just simply take up space and breathe air, but so that you could write an epic story. Well, I'm not famous. So what? Most people that are famous are completely irrelevant to the world anyway. And so as we stay the course, we should expect resistance. Expect resistance. That's always the harder path. It's getting really hard. Well, it's supposed to be hard because veering off course is easy. It's not good. And you're left with less than yourself, less than less than the, the glory of God that was supposed to radiate through your body and your soul even through the suffering. So, this is why I love what uh, Sam says to Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. Remember this. Frodo's got the ring and all the forces of evil are bearing down upon him. And he doesn't want to continue, and he wonders, why was I even chosen to be a part of this anyway? Why was I chosen to be the one to have to rescue the whole world through this? I wish, I'd never, I wish we had never gone on this journey. And that's where some of you are right now. I wish I'd never had to deal with this. Why did I go down this? Why did I move to Arizona? Why did I get married? Why did I have kids? <laughs> that's where you are. And what does Sam say? Sam says, yes, that is so, and we shouldn't be here at all if we'd know more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures as I used to call them, I used to think they were things that the wonderful folks of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have just been landed in them usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And that's what makes it a story worth reading, a story worth living. And you're in the middle of your story. And you don't know what the outcome is. And you don't know what the completion looks like. And that's the hardest part. You're in the hardest part. So James continues and says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Uh, and then verse 11, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. We talked about that, right? How he's compassionate and merciful. So they're Old Testament prophets. And then what he talks about are um, those who are bl blessed to remain steadfast. Now, what is he referring to? There's a lot of people that think that he's referring to an event that happened about 150 years prior called the Maccabean Revolt. It would have the same occupation in their minds that World War II, storming the beaches of Normandy, the Civil War, Gettysburg, those kinds of iconic battles, the way they live in our minds would be how the Maccabean Revolt would have lived in the minds of the Jews because it was an opportunity where the Jews fought for their independence against Antiochus IV, who was forcing them to renounce their Judaism, and they wouldn't do it. And so their history was taught. And they prevailed, by the way, at least from regarding Jerusalem. They, they did secure a measure of freedom, but it was brutal. And while we don't include the books of Maccabees in the Bible, 
in our, in our, we don't consider them inspired by God, so we don't hold them to the same level. They are still useful for understanding the culture and things that were going on back then, especially right before the time of Christ. And in one instance in, in Maccabees, it's fascinating. They tell a story of a, a mother who watched as seven of her sons were brutally murdered in front of her eyes for not renouncing their faith. They offered them to, they said that as the story goes, they refused to eat the flesh of the pig. They refused to eat bacon. Now look, it's one thing if you refuse to eat something that's set before, it's set before you because it's against your religious beliefs. It's another thing if it's bacon, right? That just makes it like three times as hard as far as I'm concerned. So they deserve a lot of credit. But in all seriousness, this was brutal. So they recounted what happened. So the mother watched as the first son had his tongue cut out, he was scalped, they cut off his hands, then they cut off his feet, and they forced his brothers to throw him into a big giant life-size frying pan where he died. In each instance, the mother was, ver- was, was encouraging their sons to not renounce their faith. This is how it is recorded. She encouraged each of them in the language of their ancestors. Filled with a noble spirit, she reinforced her woman's reasoning with a man's courage and said to them, I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. By the way, a very wonderful paradigm to think about the relationship between a mother and her child in her womb and how we treat that, but we'll go on. Um, Therefore, the creator of the world who shaped the beginning of humankind and devised the origins of all things will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his loss. What is she doing? She's encouraging her sons to give up their lives because they're going to get them back again in their resurrection. So each one, they martyr the same way until they get to the seventh. In the seventh, they offer all this like, hey, well, if you recant, we'll give you all this great stuff. We'll set you up. And the mother says, don't do it, son. Don't do it. And so the son, encouraged by the words of his mother, says to Antiochus IV, but you, unholy wretch, you most defiled of all mortals, do not be elated in vain and puffed up by uncertain hopes when you raise your hand against the children of heaven. You have not escaped the judgment of the almighty, all-seeing God. For our brothers, listen to this, after enduring a brief suffering, have drunk of ever-flowing life under God's covenant. See his promise. But you, by the judgment of God, will receive just punishment for your arrogance. I, like my brothers, give up body and life for the laws of our ancestors, appealing to God to show mercy soon to our nation and by trials and plagues to make you confess that he alone is God. One of the brothers, when, they, when they, it was his turn, he stuck out his tongue in his hands and he says, take him. They didn't come from you anyway. They came from God and I'll get them back. Crazy stuff, crazy. But what? Now it's it's gruesome and awful and horrible. It's like, why are you bringing this up? Because these are the kinds of stories that would have been in their minds when James says, "Remember the guys that stuck it out." And it makes that was an amazing story. It wouldn't be a good story if they threatened him and they said, oh, "Okay, we'll you know pass the bacon. We're fine." That's not a good story. It doesn't bring glory to God. That doesn't show that God is real and he's worth giving up everything for. You have been, and I have been born to make sure that the whole universe knows of the glory of God. And that does and will require a certain amount of sacrifice at various iterations of our lives. 
James references Job. The crazy thing about Job is he loses all of his children and his livestock and his wealth and everything, right? And then he gets these terrible boils all over his body that he has to, you know, they itch so bad that he uses broken pieces of pottery to scratch them. This is very unsanitary and disgusting and whatever. And then to make matters worse, his friends come over and say, look at him and go, dude, this is all basically your fault. And then his wife says, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? So this is not going well for him. It's a bad week for Job. So why does James reference him? Because Job could not have known what was really going on behind the scenes. And that what had actually happened was that Satan had approached God and God said, hey, and Satan, it's so funny because God's like, where you been? And he goes, oh, I've been running around the earth. And God kind of like um, messes with him a little bit. He says, well, have you considered my servant Job? He's like the best person in the world. He follows me. And Satan's like, oh, yeah, well, he wouldn't follow you if you took stuff away from him. The only reason he follows you is because you made his life so easy. And he's like, God's like, fine, take stuff away from him, see what happens. Now, there's all kinds of stuff that have been written about how all that works, but here's the, here's the thing. The reality is, is that the point of the story is that there, there are things in our lives and we don't know the reasons behind why they are happening. And it could very well be that there is a massive cosmic battle showdown going on and, and the eyes of the spiritual realm are looking at your life to see what you will do. And they are on the edge of their seats with their popcorn and their 3D glasses. And they're like, <gasps> what's she gonna do? And by the way, who knows? Who knows? You know, you, we walk around as though our lives are just like, we're just, you know, time and history are just gonna melt us away someday and we'll go to heaven and I'll be fine, but what we do on earth doesn't matter. That's so not true. Who's to say that Satan didn't reapproach God and God didn't say, well, have you considered my servant Sally? She lives in Goodyear. She's pretty awesome. And Satan's like, well, yeah, because you give her a nice house in the burbs with a pool and a little SUV. I mean, what's not to like about that? But if you disrupt her life, we'll see what happens. Fine. Disrupt her life, and we'll see the strength of character, and we'll see that I am alone worthy to be worshipped. And the eyes of the spiritual world could be watching you. I don't know. I don't know. But there's a reason these stories are there. And there's an outcome that's far greater than you can imagine far and far more important than you can see right now. And you have to know that. Your story matters and your struggle matters and Monday matters and Friday matters and Saturday matters. These days and these decisions matter. All of heaven is watching. And so this is where we have to go back to the teleos, the purpose, the ends. Some of you are in the middle of it right now. You're stuck. And maybe you didn't know why. Or you didn't even know you were in the middle. You just thought life was a series of difficult events that have hit you. And you didn't realize where you were in the epic drama that is unfolding. And so I'm here to tell you to stay the course with courage and with patience because your struggle is producing more than you can possibly know at the moment. And as you do, as you struggle, as you endure, as you take it one more 
day, you're becoming stronger. You're becoming wiser. And you are becoming more fit for heaven. Now, don't confuse this with your fact that you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Your sins have been paid for. That's really not what we're talking about here. What we are talking about is in the, in the light of the fact that you've been saved, if you've been, if you've been rescued by Jesus, if you haven't, that's the first step. But those of you that have, that have placed your faith in Jesus and let him be your, the bearer of your sins so you don't walk around trying to pay for your sins because you can't do that anyway, people. You cannot. But now, you're faced with something and you don't know why. But this is where we have to keep heaven in view. We have to. And we don't think about it like we should. And it's an easy answer to just go, ah, you know what, I'll just, uh, you know, it'd be an easy thing for me to say, oh, just live your life, don't worry, because heaven's going to be great. It's not about that. God can, God can right the wrongs. God can redeem. God can restore here on this planet, and he does all the time. But ultimately, you're not going to know it until the end. And you and I have the opportunity to spend our entire eternity rejoicing over decisions made today. It's like, I didn't buckle. I didn't break. I stayed the course, and it was worth it. It's like I was watching on Netflix, I was watching this the show called The Iron Cowboy. And it's this guy, he did 50 Iron Man races in 50 days in 50 states. It's ridiculous, right? And there's like halfway through, he's like shaken and he's like delirious. And the doctor that was with him was like, dude, your muscles are pulling away from your joints. I mean, like your whole body's breaking down and it was taking him forever. It was ridiculous, right? But he, but he, and you just watch this guy enduring all of this crazy stuff. But at the end, he made it. And he's able to celebrate now and know that he was able to accomplish this and do it. And it's a similar type of thing with us. C.S. Lewis describes heaven this way. In the last battle, he says, we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story now at last, at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. You're in it right now. You're in the middle. And you're feeling it. And the, the compromises are calling out to you, the settling the easy way out is right there in your grasp. And I'm telling you, there is an end and a purpose and a completion and a goal and a beautiful picture that God has right there. If you just stay the course, if you just live to fight one more day, I'm going to invite our worship team to come out. They're going to lead us in a song. We sang it a few months ago. And I just want you to listen to it. I want you to listen. I want you to receive what they have prepared for you. And as you're listening, I want you to reflect on what we've shared today. Does God have greater purpose than what you've seen. Do you believe? Do you believe that your life isn't just some random collection of 
circumstances. But it's part of a beautiful narrative. And you may be in the most difficult spot right now. So can you honor God in advance of the outcome? Can you praise him before you see the end? Can you sit with that tranquility of spirit, knowing you are greatly loved and greatly cared for since the beginning of time? And what you do matters. And when they're done, I'm going to pray for you. for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.